All right, I'm back. It's great to be with you guys. And I was talking a little bit earlier, if you were here during kind of the, the welcome, just about how this is kind of stressful for me. I mean, part of it is I feel this pressure to always make the right decision and it doesn't always feel like what the right decision is. And, and also, can I just say, there's kind of this sense that we have, and I get where it comes from. It's like, okay, we're in this stressful situation We're not sure what to do. And then we look to the pastor for leadership. And I'm like, I get that on the one hand, but then I'm like, man, I've been trained in theology and dead languages. And I'm like, well, um, I don't don't know. And, um, but I do know, I guess I do know where the experts in this situation are. And it's easy at that point to just kind of defer to them. But I, I think the one thing that I feel like that, the pastor, um, that the church that we can do, it really, again, has a lot to do with our attitude. That we're not going to be people who are panicked, that we're not going to be people who are scared, we're not going to be people who um, live without hope. There's a passage in First Thess that we'll look at in a few weeks where it's talking about people who are grieving, talking about people who are grieving death, and, and there's a great line in there is where, where Paul says that... Um, it's okay to grieve, really, but we don't want to grieve like people who don't have hope. And it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be anxious. But we don't want to be like people who don't have hope. And that we are people who trust that no matter what this world throws at us, no matter how uh, anxious the times may be, we know that in God that we have overwhelming hope. And so we're going to be looking at, we're going to continue on, and we kind of, I've obviously adjusted some of the content of what we're going to talk about, but we're just going to continue to go through First Thess, and that's the great thing about God's Word, is that the circumstances can radically change, and even in the same passage, you've got an incredible word for what it is that I think that God is wanting to communicate with us, because these Thessalonians, they were a young group of Christians living in a very scary time for them. Paul, the guy who wrote the letter, he kind of founded their church. He was rushed out of town. If We talked about this last week, if you were here. He got rushed out of town because of some persecution that rose up. People didn't like what he was having to say. He was, they felt like he was speaking out against the government. He was certainly speaking out against the religious leadership of the time. And they kind of got a mob together, and they, and they, and they kicked him out. And those people who were persecuting Paul, Paul left, but they didn't. And so now the Thessalonians are kind of suffering under what feels like um, a lot of persecution. And one of the things that Paul does is he kind of addresses that with them. And at the same time, he kind of speaks to, in this passage we're going to be looking at today in 1 Thessalonians 2, he's going to be speaking not only to um, commending them on that and talking about how difficult that is, but really talking about, What does it really mean in a difficult circumstance, really in all circumstances? What does it mean for us to be, let's say, to be carriers of life and hope to people? So we'll see in Paul's ministry, the description of what it is that he does, I think some great models for us and who it is that God has called us to be, not only over the next anxious few weeks, but ultimately for the rest of our lives. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, we are going to be starting at second half of verse uh, 7 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And again, this is Paul talking to the Thessalonians about what his ministry to them was like. Verse 7. 
Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know what we dealt with, each of you, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because you, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone. And their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. And so he mentions this in chapter 1, which we, which we looked at last week, and he brings it up again here in chapter 2. My guess is, is we're going to see this quite a few more times as we continue through 1 Thessalonians. He is talking to them about how they received the gospel and have now been living out the gospel in a time of persecution. And he is constantly praising them for that. It's like, you not only, man, you received it, you received it deeply, you received it with passion, and you do it at a very difficult time. You're not doing it when it's easy. You are living out your faith in a difficult time. And so I think that one of the messages that Paul is getting across to them, that I think is important for us, is that living out your faith in trying times is difficult and praiseworthy. I mean, he talks about that it's difficult. I mean, if, if it weren't difficult, he wouldn't be making such a thing of it. Man, it's like, this is hard. It is hard to be who God's called you to be. It's hard to be an imitator of Christ when there is persecution, when, when there are all the circumstances pushing in against you. It is difficult to live the life that God has called us to. It's difficult, and he is constantly praising them for it. And so... We are not living in a time of persecution right now, but we are living, I would say, in a time of high anxiety, high fear. And all around us, there just seems to be, yeah, just, just fear, overwhelming fear from, from uh, people who are crippled by it, all the way, I guess, to the other spectrum of people who are in complete denial that anything is going on. And in that, um, I believe that we have an incredible opportunity we have an incredible opportunity to live out faith. I mean, if there's anything, it's like we should consider this not a time to spiritually retreat, even if we have to physically distance. This is not a time to spiritually retreat. This is game time. This is kind of like, well, let's just say it's kind of what we've been training for. It's the opportunity that we have to show and give hope and life to a world that is that has always been broken, but is, let's say, it's more in tune and aware of its brokenness right now. And it would be very easy, I think, in this time to, um, to feel like you should, not only am I going to have to physically pull back, 
but I'm going to spiritually pull back. I'm going to emotionally pull back when the reality of it is the world needs you and the world needs us more than ever. And again, I know in saying that that it can feel a little bit overwhelming. Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm just one person. I'm not a pastor. I'm not some great theologian. I, I wouldn't even know what to do. I, 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 you just think, I'm a regular person. What can I do? And I'm going to tell you a story of something that happened just this morning. I, for the most part, am kind of, you know, we're, I've, we've, we've pulled back on a lot of things and are trying to, um, you know, follow all the guidelines. But there's still a few routines I feel like I need to follow. And I'm, like I said, I'm trying to make today as normal as possible for me so that this message feels normal even though there's all sorts of abnormal everywhere. And so I did the thing that I always do on Sunday mornings. I went to, I went to McDonald's for a little bit. I washed my hands a lot more than what I normally did and, and bacterial wipes and all of these things. I, it, was, it was different in some ways, but I'm still trying to keep these routines. And what happened this morning is this guy shows up who he's clearly homeless and he's out of breath. He's been walking a long time and there was this really awkward conversation that he had that somebody else was bringing up to him where he's kind of drawing attention to the fact, oh, you must be really tired from all that walking. I walk a lot too. And it was like, like, does this guy know who he's talking? It was just really uncomfortable. And it was in that moment that God was like, hey, you got lots of time this morning. Normally you wouldn't do. I need you to give that dude a ride. And the first thing I think is social distancing. Right? It's like, okay, I, it's like, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know this guy. Like, this, is, this seems scary. And then there's this part. I don't want to sound like I'm like, think going down in a blaze of glory or something. I was like, I mean, like, if God's going to protect me, I think he's going to protect me if I'm giving a homeless dude a ride. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And it's not often I feel like the Holy Spirit is shouting at me. He was shouting at me today. You are doing this. Like, I get it. And so then I looked down at my, at my iPad. I was like, I just finished up one more thing on my notes. And I looked up, Alan's dude might be a ninja. He was just gone. And I, and I didn't see him anywhere. I was like, I didn't think I'd look down that long. And then I felt really bad because, again, I said the Holy Spirit was kind of shouting at me to give this dude a ride. And so I hurry out of there and get in my car. And there's like, there's, I guess there's essentially four different directions he could have gone. And I found him on the third. I went all the way down this way. It's like I'm trying to calculate. I mean, he is a ninja. I'm trying to figure out how, how far he could have gone. And then I, then I finally found him. And it turned out he had walked all the way uh, from South Springdale down to Dixon where he was going to go to a church down there and meet a friend who was going to give him some money to help him with some things only to go down there and find out that, it's, that the church had been canceled. And, um, and so then God was like, well, now you know what else you need to do, not just give him a ride. And so he was telling me he needed help with the cell phone bill. It's going to cost this much. And I was like, okay, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go to the ATM and, 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 and get that much. And I swear to you that two different times God said, double it. I'm like, okay, fine, double it. And I'm going like, no, 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 double it. And so then I, I, I doubled it again. And I'm not saying all this to brag. I'm just kind of putting some context in the story. Like, and so I go to the ATM. I get in this money. I take him all the, all the way to Springdale. We're having a really good conversation, super cool guy. And uh, I dropped him off, and, and, then, I, and then I came here. 
And I say all that not because it was an outstanding story. I think if it had been some super incredible story, like, and then halfway he starts weeping and talking about this terrible journey that he'd been on, and I was able to just kind of pray over him and share the gospel with him, and he came to Christ. If it had been that story, I wouldn't have told it. It was a story of just a dude and another dude at McDonald's. That dude needed a ride, and he needed a little bit of money. I gave him a ride, and I gave him some money. In a time when the world seems to be shutting down and the thing that he needed he couldn't get, he showed up here and one of God's people was there for him to do a relatively small thing to bring a little bit of hope into his life. Again, I, I hate, I don't love telling stories about myself where I, I like make, telling more stories where I'm, I'm, I'm the dummy. Uh, I, I, I don't want it to feel like I'm bragging, but I do want you to catch a glimpse there are opportunities out there to overcome just a little bit of fear a little bit of anxiety and by a relatively small thing did not cost me much money with regards to how much money I have and it did not cost me barely any time at all he found out I was a pastor here he's like well you drove past where you were going to I thought you were this was on your way I said dude I never said this was on my way I said I was giving you a ride but even still, it cost me, it cost me almost nothing. But I, I know that it is going to have a multiplied impact. And so I want us to have these, these ideas out there. Because again, as Paul is describing what his ministry is like, he describes it this way. He says that they were pleased um, to give, that they gave their, his very own life. We were delighted to share with you the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It wasn't just information. It says that Paul was giving his life. And so we need to live out our faith. And we also need to understand that in Paul's ministry, what he did is that Paul shared his whole life. This was not about him knowing more things than they did. It wasn't just simply that. It was built on that for him as a missionary. But what he did is he shared his whole life with them. He gave his whole life. It was obvious that he was living among them. He was loving them. He was being a friend of them. He, as his descriptions here of what his ministry was like, he talks about, I was like a mom in these ways. I was like a dad in these ways. I was giving you my life. I wasn't just being your teacher. And again, I believe that this is the opportunity that we have. We have the opportunity to give our lives to people. And if you feel like that you are not equipped to share the gospel, to disciple someone, to talk to someone about God, if you don't feel like you have a life to give, you have a heart to give, you have you to give, and who you are is special, uniquely created by God with hearts, talents, passions, and you are a person that God loves and has something to give to someone else. And it's real interesting. I, I referenced this phrase once. It is, it is most definitely um, the phrase, the word of the week. Um, it's too early in the year to say what's going to be the word of the year, but I would not be surprised by the time that this year is over if social distancing is not determined by the dictionary to be the word of the year. And I've been thinking about this a lot, and, and I don't know if you've seen it. I mean, there's all these 
videos out there and graphs out there, there's this one that's fascinating to me that's on the Washington Post of these little dots just kind of bumping into each other. And if you spread out and you don't move, how quickly the, they get contained. And so the idea is, is that when, when one dot hits another dot, it was infected, now it's infected. And so it's same day with, with people. And I, I know that probably like a million pastors today are going to use this metaphor, and I hate, I hate it. I hate being what feels like basic. Um, but that, that's what this is, where it's like, I have something to give you. I have a hope and a life and a joy and a peace that comes through God. And if I bump into you, and I am giving you my life, and I'm giving you who I am, what God has in me is going to get on you. And, that's the, and, and that is the ministry possibility that we have. I'm going to give my life, and so I have hope, I have joy, I have God. I'm not going to socially distance myself from you. I'm going to socially engage with you. I'm going to live my life near you, with you, by you, for you, and what God has given me, it's just going to get on you. But too many of us are practicing a measure of social distancing when it comes to our spiritual lives or getting involved in the lives of other people. We, we stay at some sort of distance. There were, there were 10, I don't want to say 10 good reasons, but there were 10, at least 10 reasons that some people would consider good for me to not have given that dude a ride. Especially at the point in which he was gone. There are all these reasons, and, and any time we have any opportunity to make a difference in the lives of someone else, to step into a situation, to show an extra amount of love, to bring a little bit of hope and life to somebody, we always have plenty of reasons to not do it. To distance ourselves. But I believe what God is calling us to um, is to step into those situations. And I believe, I, I, I believe with, 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 no, with, with, with zero doubts, that even if you are having to live a physically, socially distant life for the next few weeks, that even in that circumstance, with your spiritual eyes open, you will, you will have opportunities. And I've, I've seen it play out on social media. The people who have um, maybe got in on the front, front wave of the, the, the plundering of all of the stores... Um, you know, this, this happened yesterday. I'll, I'll, I'll brag on my wife. She, she actually, there was actually hand sanitizer at a place that she went to yesterday. She's like, I got some hand sanitizer. And then she immediately told me uh, a family who was suffering with some illness and had not been able to have any. He's like, and I got this for them, and they were super excited. And I've seen it other places on social media too. People who recognize that they have a little bit of surplus of things that... Other people don't have very simple, small ways to say God's people are here. But it involves us doing and being who uh, Paul is describing himself as, like he is sharing his whole life. And he said this 
last chap in last chapter, he said it again here. He kept saying that they were you were imitators of us. You were imitators of Christ. They became like Paul because they were with Paul. And God is in us. And if we are living lives like we talked about last week, a life that I believe and receive the gospel deeply, I'm becoming myself an imitator of Christ, and I'm looking to be a model for people, I become that person, and now I'm interacting with people, I'm becoming like Jesus, I'm living life with you, and because you're with me, you're going to be like him too. And this is Paul's model. This is his, the way that he does ministry. He's becoming more like Jesus, I'm going to live my life with you, and then you're going to become more like Jesus as well. And then he gives this great description. This great description of kind of what that ministry looked like. And he's describing it, he says, like, like, like a dad. Verse 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Three things. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Three different verbs to describe what he's doing for them and very distinct words. And I also, again, Bible study tip, I think it's very important to when we get lists like that to kind of stop and make sure I understand what these words are because you can read past it and go that, oh, Paul was doing good stuff. But I think that there is a distinctiveness to the three words that he uses and I think it's important for us to slow down and, and to talk about it. It's like, so he's, he's comforting people, he's encouraging people, and he's urging them to live lives like Jesus. These three things. And I think it's important for us to recognize these are three different ways that Paul is, is having ministry, is encouraging, is helping, is leading um, these people to become more like Jesus. Because I think there are three different things. Like if I'm, if, you know, if, if I'm comforting you, you're sad and I want you to be better. And if I'm, if I'm encouraging you, it's like, man, you can do it and you're doing great. And if I'm urging you, it's like, man, you need to, you need to, you need to do it. You, know, you need to do better, be better. Because I think sometimes we think that if I'm supposed to help somebody, we think about maybe one of those things. Like if you're a really compassionate person, your three words would be, I'm here to comfort, help, and console you, which are just, Three synonyms. Or if you're a really encouraging person, I want to encourage you, I want to praise you, I want to strengthen you. And, and, and another more harsh person would be like, my job is to urge you, rebuke you, correct you, punch you, kick you. And, like, and, 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 we, and we think that there's one thing. But really what God has called us to is in the lives of other people to be all of these things. And so we're going to look at them one at a time. So you've got somebody in your life that needs some help? Or, or you think about the kind of help that you need, but really let's think about it at least today. Let's think about it more in terms of the kind of help that you can give to somebody. So somebody's got some sort of struggle. They've got some sort of, some sort of problem. And the first thing that they need, a lot of people need, is they need comfort. And we'll describe comfort this way. This comfort is, I'm sorry you didn't do it. Whatever the thing is, whatever it is you wanted, whatever you wished, whatever hope you had, whatever, 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 whatever dream you had, whatever you wished could have been, is not. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm sorry. And I want to be there. And this has been, this is, again, this has been a very emotional week 
in, in our house, especially if you extend it out to our whole family, our, our older two daughters have been, they've just been down this week. It's really sad. You, you say school gets canceled and the U of A gets canceled and it's not like, woohoo, we don't have to go to school. I mean, this is their friends. This is their life. There's, it was more than just an academic pursuit and, and, and everything that, was, was that, that they loved about their life for the most part is just now it's just, it's just gone in a moment. And it's gone in a moment under scary circumstances. And, you know, Paul says, you know, like a father, he, he did these things. And I think lots of times we think, okay, what is a dad supposed to do in those circumstances? Well, dad's supposed to reason with them. Well, you know what, this, this thing that you're thinking, this thing that you're feeling, it doesn't make any sense. And here's all the reasons why it doesn't. And here's how it's fine. And stop being such a baby. And, yeah, you're not going to be in school forever anyway. And burp, burp. I mean, this is, you know, it's like, no. A father, according to Paul, and according to Paul, brings comfort. I'm sorry. That stinks. I wish that hadn't happened to you. And it is important for us, even if we think we've got the right answers for people, even if we see somebody doing something that they're not supposed to be doing, even if we see that their wounds are self-inflicted. In my girl's case, obviously they're not. But even in the lives of people where their wounds are self-inflicted, we can come to them not just simply with answers, but we can come to them with comfort. And some of you may feel like, when I talk about make a difference in somebody's life, you may say, well, I don't have the answers. Well, you don't have to have the answers to be able to do this. I can comfort somebody who is going through a struggle, whether it's something they've done to themselves, grieving some sort of loss in their family, some loss in their personal life. I can be with somebody and I can say, I'm sorry the thing. I'm sorry about it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry for you. And you can be there. Again, this is about sharing your life. So bring comfort. You can bring comfort. I'm, I'm sorry you didn't do it. And then you can also bring encouragement. Encouragement, you can do it. I get blown away, and um, I, I love that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna work our way through the whole family here today. Um, uh, I, I love watching my, my youngest daughter, Layla, uh, do art. It is amazing to me. When she, when she draws, when she builds, she, it, what she does, it's like, Dad, look at this. And I'm like, that's incredible. And I'm not just being like one of these dads. It's like, oh, sweetie, that's a really nice little painting, silly little kid. I'm looking at it and be like, there's no way I could draw that. There's no way I could build. I, I could not do that. Like, I'm, 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 I'm overwhelmed by it. Like, seriously, if we had a drawing contest right now, and you said, hey, both of you draw a house, and we both did, and I handed it to you, and said, which one was the eight-year-old? I promise you, you would pick mine. It's incredible. And she was drawing and doing some things yesterday, and I'm just like, just encouraged. Like, that, that's so good. I'm so glad. That, that is really, really good. And again, this is what Paul is talking about. Like a father, like a father that can comfort his child when things aren't going well, can encourage them when things are going well, you're doing a great job. And you see that all throughout the letter, Paul talking about how they've done a good job. And again, there's kind of this other aspect of encouragement too, almost like this picture of the people on the side of the road during the marathon at miles 23, 24. Like, you're doing great. You can keep doing great. You can keep going. 
Again, you don't have to have answers. You don't have to be biblically trained. You don't have to have a theology degree to be able to come along somebody when they're hurting and say, I'm really, really sorry that that happened to you. And to come along somebody and say, hey, you're doing great. I'm proud of you. God's proud of you. Keep going. We can be that for people. We can be comforters of people. We can be encouragers of people. And ultimately, I believe that we can do this, is that we can urge people. And we'll just say that urge is like this. Uh, do it already. So comfort is like, I'm sorry that you, you weren't able to do it. Encourage is like, I'm glad you did it. And then urge is like, you gotta, you got to do it. And I think for some people, like I said, I think for some people this is the natural tool we have in our belt. We see somebody with a problem and it's like, well, you know it's your fault, right? You know you did that. But then a lot of us, though, on the other hand, are like the opposite of that. Like, I might be willing to tell you they're there and good job, but urging. And the way that Paul describes it, again, in, the, in that verse, he's like, I'm urging you to live lives worthy of God. It's an interesting phrase that Paul uses. He uses it at various times in the Scripture, where basically he says over and over again that the gospel of Jesus Christ is totally free. It's completely free. You don't have to earn it. You do not make yourself worthy of, of Jesus' sacrifice for you by, by doing good things. You cannot make yourself worthy. The only thing that makes you worthy is Jesus' death on the cross for you. It's completely and totally free. But now you've been given this huge incredible gift and now that you've been given this gift where where god makes you worthy live a life try to live a life that matches that a life that matches the worthiness the goodness the holiness that god has given you through jesus and this is what paul's saying i'm urging you to do that do better be better and we've been talking about this mark and i've been talking about it just kind of this this idea that we have in the church that Right there, as you, as, as you come in as you come in the door, uh, right there on the wall, the You Belong poster, and, and we really want to build a church and to have a culture that says, it does not matter who you were or who you are walking into this church. If you need comfort, we will comfort you. If you need encouragement, we will encourage you. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter what you've done. But at the same time, if we are going to love you well, we will love you too much to let you stay in the place where you currently are. And so, we as a church, we want to comfort and encourage people who are broken and are hurting. And ultimately, we want to come to you and say, but you can be better. Be better. We would be doing, as a church, we would be doing you and you and we would be doing the world a disservice if all we said is, they're there, it's okay. It is okay, we do love you, but it's, we cannot let you stay there. And so we see in Paul a willingness to come along and comfort those who are hurting and broken, to encourage people wherever they're at, but then to go to another level and say, be better. And I believe that this is the type of ministry, these are the types of people that God is calling us to be, the type of church that God is calling us to be. 
that no matter how hurting you are, we will comfort you. No matter where you are, we will encourage you. But together with each other and ultimately with the world, we can bring, hey, that there is a hope out there. You do not have to stay where you are. And we urge you to be better. And so as we, um, we're going to have some some more worship here in just a minute. And... um, And, you know, the response time will obviously be a little bit different. I mean, you're, you're, you're probably there in your living room. You may have kids running around or whatever. But I think even still in this time, we can find some time right now, and if not right now, a little bit later, to have some really good reflection time. To really think about maybe some ways that God in this difficult circumstance is calling you to share your life with somebody. To comfort them, to encourage them, to urge them forward. And let's just pray for that for each other. That we will have some great opportunities this week. That we'll have some great opportunities this year. And that this is the kind of culture that he'll continue to build in this church. Where we're giving our lives away. Encouraging, comforting, and urging people to be who God has called them to be. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you. God, just what a weird circumstance we find ourselves in. Just kind of what a weird season. Again, just full of anxiety and fear. And God, I pray that we would overcome all of the anxiety and the fear. And that we would no longer, that we would not be crippled by it. But God, that we would see this as an opportunity to be carriers of hope and life and light to people. God, in very small but ultimately powerful ways. God, keep our eyes open to um, the opportunities that we have. And God, help us grow in all three of those areas to be great comforters of people, encouragers of people, and urging people to be worthy of the life that you've given us. And God, again, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, that free gift who makes all this possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.